You're listening to Decay Mag Sessions Exclusive Interview Actor slash filmmaker Vincent J. Roth Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. You're listening to DK Mag Sessions Episode 2. This is our spin-off from our weekly podcast titled DK Mag Podcast. I am your host, Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. You can find us at DECAYMAG.com and across social networking platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, simply search DK Mag. And in this session, we will be interviewing filmmaker slash actor Vincent J. Roth. Mr. Roth portrays the role of Gavin Lucas slash Surge in the upcoming film Surge of Power Revenge of the Sequel. Mr. Roth also served as collaborating director, producer, and he was also part of the writing team. Surge of Power began in 2004, that was the initial release, and the sequel will release, well, has released the 5th of January in Los Angeles and will arrive in our home base of New York City on the 19th of January 2018. Surge of Power Revenge of the Sequel is an action comedy with superhero movie in fact and the synopsis reads as follows Serge leaves his hometown big city to pursue his arch enemy headed to Las Vegas to find mysterious crystals key to the diabolical plan of an even greater supervillain which erupts in a battle on Hoover Dam and back in Big City. The film stars actors Tony Arias, actress Karen Ashley, actress Tiffany Marie Austin. The film also features guest appearances from actors and actresses across science fiction and horror cinema. I'm going to play a little clip off of The Surge of Power Revenge of the Sequel trailer. Following that, we will begin with our interview with Vincent J. Roth. This is Big City News. It's been many years since the first battle between Metal Master and Surge, Big City's newest superhero. Zapuba, bad guys. With Metal Master out of jail again, will we see another battle between Surge and his nemesis? Get the urge to Surge. That's a recipe for disaster. I could just scream. <gasps> Heroes and villains? They're worse than a bunch of apes. Big City News will keep you updated. Oh, blame the supervillain for everything. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Roth. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start off our conversation slash interview with a bit of an origin story for audiences who are unfamiliar with yourself and your work. Uh, please share your origin story. <laughs> My origin story. Well, um, I was uh, born in a suburb of Philadelphia 
uh, and I spent the first 30 years of my life um, uh, on the East Coast in the Northeast there, so not far from New York, and I've been there many times, and have been in, uh, in Southern California um, ever since. And, um, you know, I uh, started off, I guess, with, um, you know, a love of superheroes from the uh, Super Friends cartoon way back when, which I don't know how old you are, but maybe before your time. <laughs> and... Um, uh, started buying comics and reading comics in uh, 1979 was the first time I picked up a comic book before they even had comic book stores. You know, you picked them up at the 7-Eleven and convenience stores on little racks. And I bought my first comic book in uh, 1979 of the Justice League. And, uh, you know, years later that translated into um, dressing up in costume and making costumes and now they call it cosplay right right um yeah yeah now it's kind of like its own you know thing its own industry you know its own culture um cosplaying and um at one point i was working um as an in-house attorney for a, a tech company that had this uh marketing program that was um uh featuring a kind of a superhero looking character to um you know uh promote this new product and um i had uh, commented to one of the marketing gals that i was going to uh i said oh, i'll have to make a costume of that and she says well any chance you can make that now and this was like in february and i'm like well why would i make a halloween costume like in you know in february and she says well we're having a trade show and it would be great to have commander x there with us and so um, I said, okay, well, give me some, some, some more images here of the character so I can take a look and I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I made this costume, and since it's the company I worked for, I really wanted it to be to look good. And so at that time, it was my piece de resistance of costumes, and they loved it so much that they sort of adopted me as their mascot, and they would transfer me out of the legal department and into the marketing department and send me to trade shows to go with the salespeople, and I would be the embodiment of this Commander X character, and that's what started me thinking about bringing a character of my own to life. And uh, some uh, friends and colleagues of mine um, in LA um, had done some films of their own, and one of them was doing kind of a spoof one, uh, B-movie sci-fi uh, films, and so I started asking them about you know the filmmaking process and what he was doing and he was starting to play in film festivals and stuff. And I thought, well, maybe that would be an avenue for me to, you know, bring a character of my own to life, you know, not just make a costume of Surge and walk around comic conventions, but you know, maybe uh, tell a story and you know, make a movie. Interesting. I see. Was that enough of an origin story no, for you? That's that a great origin story. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just fascinated how, um, one thing leads to another and you just start from one career to marketing and all of a sudden now you created this uh, character who I am sure is going to have or has right now a, a large following right now. Uh, I hope so. You know, Serge has, has been around for a while now. We made the first movie in 2004 is when we started screening in film festivals and comic and sci-fi conventions. Um, and then I got picked up for distribution um, and got released in 2006. And um, we had some stops and starts with the sequel and some certain things were, you know, getting in the way. And some people are actually trying to, you know, prevent the um, sequel from being made. You know, homophobia is uh, still alive and well. And um, 
you know, and we started screening the sequel in um, uh, September of uh, 2016 and screened for about a year until we got picked up for distribution on the sequel. And so, you know, as you mentioned, the, the movie just got released January 5th. And, um, you know, it's it's now in its theatrical run. And um, it's also up on Amazon. And um, the distributor told me that they've just... Um, Put the uh, DVD and Blu-ray into production, so they should be, you know, coming out sometime soon. And um, apart from the movies, we also have um, a web series called Surge of Power: Big City Chronicles, um, and we just completed our first season of that uh, with a Christmas special um, this past Christmas. So that was our 17th episode. So Surge is, you know, now running around in these three different projects and. You know, we hope to do a third movie to make it a trilogy, and we've actually shot scenes already with Nichelle Nichols for a third movie. Um, I don't know if you've, you know, how familiar you are with the movies, but Nichelle Nichols um, is the, you know, original Uhura from Star Trek, and she plays a character in our world um, of Big City as uh, Omen, this sort of, um, uh, you know, sage, legendary, mystical, you know, superhero who's kind of mentors surge and kind of passing the torch on to the, you know, younger generation of superheroes. So it's uh, it's delightful to have Nichelle Nichols with us in all of the Surge of Power projects. Oh, absolutely. And I do believe there's a male version for Uman. He was also on Star Trek. Yes, you know, it's kind of funny, all these Star Trek actors. <laughs> it's, uh, there's, there's this kind of a gravity that happens with, I think, with uh, getting some of the celebrities in the movie. Um, it's like, you know, Lou Ferrigno was in the first Surge of Power film and he came back for the sequel. And then we also have a couple of his co-stars from the Incredible Hulk movies. The, the guy who played Daredevil, uh, Rex Smith, and the guy who played Thor, um, Eric Allen Kramer. And I think the same thing kind of happens with the Star Trek stuff. I guess some of the Star Trek actors are like, oh, well, if Nichelle's in it, what, tell me more. What is this you're doing? What's the, oh, and, you know, and... and We'll tell them about, about the roles that we have. And, um, and so we have a number of Star Trek actors, um, a handful of them, uh, in the sequel. And you're right. Um, we're expanded on Omen's character. It's kind of funny. Um, in the first film, Omen is talked about from the male perspective. And it's sort of legendary and fallen into an urban myth. You know, Omen hasn't been seen for decades. And so people aren't really quite sure what Omen is, who Omen is, if Omen's even real, male or female. And so Omen's talked about from the male perspective until Omen shows up in the first movie. And, of course, we then find out Omen is female and is portrayed by Nichelle Nichols. And so we thought we'd do, do kind of like the reverse. Now that people know that uh, Omen is you know, female, we kind of expanded on her character. Um, and, you know, she is sort of mystically, you know, powered and can become whatever she needs to be for the situation. And so, yes, uh, Eric Robert, I'm sorry, uh, Robert Picardo uh, from Star Trek Voyager steps in as the male persona of uh, of Omen. So the Omen role is played by both uh, a male and female um, actor, and they both happen to be from Star Trek. So uh, seeing the backstory with that, was that a clever play on today's society and religion, how certain groups portray God as a male and others as a female. So no, there's un uncertainty in that area. Was that a clever play with that? 
Well, you, there are some, if you're familiar with the sequel, there are some, you know, uh, uh, spiritual um, subtext. Um, in fact, that's part of what, you know, sets the, the, sets the, uh, the dramatic underpinning of the movie in motion is that we're introduced to the uh, homophobic parents mm-hmm. of the metal mm-hmm. master, Linda Blair and Gil Gerard, um, play his parents, and it's their religious upbringing mm-hmm. that is what um, is the fuel behind their resistance and the rejection of the metal master for being gay, and that's what sets him in motion um, down the dark path is the rejection from his family. Um, so yes, there are some you know, sort of metaphysical you know concepts that get touched upon, and uh, yeah, and you're right. So Omen is this uh, not that she's necessarily portrayed as a god, but she certainly is like the one of the you know strongest figures. Um, in the film, and we ourselves don't feel that the omen needs to be, um, you know, locked in or boxed into one one gender or one type of personality. Right, and <clears throat> seeing has surge of power touches on hob- homophobia and uh, themes of that nature, which is sensitive even with today's society. We should expect those uh, themes to be non-existent. But in the comic book world, there is very rare to see a gay or lesbian uh, hero or villain. Even to this day, Marvel DC doesn't portray such acts. Well, the the trouble is um, marketing. You know, um, uh, the the big comic companies have tried to make some foray into that. Um, DC has had some measure of success with the Batwoman character when they reintroduced Batwoman um, as a lesbian. Um, and uh, some other characters have been kind of like, uh, you know, rewritten as gay in both Marvel and DC. And, um, you know, uh, Marvel tried to step out with, um, if, you, if you're familiar, the uh, X-Men character Iceman, you know, recently mm-hmm. they kind of rewrote him as gay and gave him his own book, but um, on a slate of books that are being canceled by Marvel is, um, unfortunately, is uh, the Iceman comic, and and unfortunately, some other minority characters as well. And uh, the explanation of that is is sales. You know, not enough people are buying the, you know, comic books of, you know, the the gay superhero Iceman or certain um, black or Latino characters. So that's part of what the uh, is the struggle is um is the marketing support you know are 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 fans coming out and um and buying and supporting the products so there's probably still a bit of um you know homophobia and racism and sexism that goes on but also too you know the companies have to deal with like what is the market size are people going to come out and buy these books and watch these movies right absolutely and uh, that that is very unfortunate because I do remember uh, there was some introduction of Bayek, African American superhero, and the Latino superhero. Well, now we have Black Panther, so let's see how the the marketing yeah. strategy is with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, it's timely, um, especially with where it's fitting into the Marvel um, storyline leading up to Infinity War and. Um, I presume they're building in, you know, something more that will, you know, continue that storyline. So if they're drawing from the rest of their, you know, um, Marvel audience, then 
um, then it should do well. I mean, visually, it looks you know, pretty stunning. Um, looks like they've you know, put a good effort into it. So, yeah, I'm interested too, Ken, right. uh, to see how that does. And one thing that always stuck with me, just is, uh, not to stray, of course, from the topic of Surge, but with Black Panther, I always found it weird why they call him Black Panther instead of Panther because they don't call Spider-Man White Spider-Man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, well, yes, and um, I think that is a little bit of, I mean, the same thing on the DC side when Black Lightning came out. Um, you know, well, uh, they, they're calling him Black because he's a black man. So, um, yeah, I certainly don't want people to call Surge, you know, Gay Surge. <laughs> um, why, yeah, why they call him Black Panther and Black Lightning, and please don't call him Gay Surge. You know, he just, a superhero and happens to be but i i think you've uh, you've identified an interesting um um sort of uh, subtle but but definitely uh, noticeable presence of those sort of the um uh, you know, predominantly you know white male society that's just that is uh you know that is the environment that we're in yeah unfortunately and with surge we have the the since the initial release and now with the sequel what is the embodiment of this character uh what is the final message you want audiences to take away from this character and not only that but from the villains as well oh well um you know, the sequel is definitely um uh, trying to give a message and this the sequel was, was very much the response to um, audiences, fans, commentators, and reviewers on the first movie. Now, I pay attention to what people say, and over the years, I've, you know, thought about, looked at what people have said and what they've requested and what they want. Um, and uh, the sequel is very much answering that and giving them that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I feel that uh, you know this is my social contribution to the genre and to the world. So I'm wanting to. Um, uh, you know, make a statement, make a difference. You know, and that is sort of our tagline for both movies. It's a line that comes from Nichelle Nichols' um, character, uh, make a difference where you can. Um, and there's definitely uh, a, a message about acceptance and really the other side of acceptance. I'm trying to show people what rejection looks like and how intolerance can... Um, Turn people, you know, it's joking. They say, you know, intolerance can make you evil, uh, but how intolerance um, uh, can harm not only the individual, but um, it harms families and affects society in negative ways. That is so true, and I, I feel a bit of sympathy for the villain. Uh, he's he's a bit confused on when he wants to take his direction, but ultimately he goes into the bad side again. Is that to say how in society today, especially someone uh, feeling the pressures of homophobia from the parents, that they feel pressured to stray in one direction instead of uh, going in a more positive uh, path? Well, I can't necessarily say that this um, is the general reflection with uh, all LGBT folks experience. You know, some people have more accepting environments and some people come up in more um, homophobic environments. Um, but I'm definitely demonstrating here in the movie um, and exploring that. Uh, and you know, this, again, is part of the answer to you know, fans and commentators 
Um, they wanted to see more about the villain. They wanted to understand why he was bad. And they wanted to see you know, gay issues explored. Um, and so I, I, I kind of put those two requests together and said, well, here you go. You get introduced to his homophobic parents, Linda Blair and Gil Gerard. Um, uh, and, you know, we learned that it's, you know, their religious upbringing that uh, is the source of their homophobia and how that affects their son, Hector, who's the metal master and um, why he went down the path of evil. And even when he kind of, you know, struggles and, uh, you know, thinks about, um, you know, changing that course, um, that allows kind of the big bad guy uh, in the movie, uh, uh, Auger, who's portrayed by Eric Roberts, to step in and try and exploit that. Kind of like the things you see in Star Wars movies, exactly. right? The big bad guy trying to lure the younger uh, apprentice, you know, down the dark path kind of thing. Um, so we have a bit of that going on. He's trying to capitalize on that struggle that Metal Master is having with his family um, and, uh, and draw him further down the dark path. And in my review for Surge of Power, I I noticed the the cinematography was fantastic in a way that it, oh, yeah it, it was it was amazing is that the camera angles the lighting the costuming everything was so precise and I make the comparison with uh, with the programs that are in the the uh, the Disney Channel being that everything's so precise. Do you see in any way Surge would be, well, since it has a web show on uh, cable television in some capacity? Oh, um, I would be delighted if uh, if Surge had a, 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 a television show on whether cable or, or wherever. Um, you know, uh, the first movie played on a cable station back when and, uh, and was uh, on Netflix for a few years. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we have uh, this online um, program, Big City Chronicles, with, um, you know, with Surge. Uh, you know, um, and so, yes, yeah, so expanding the, the world of Big City to, you know, um, other environments and platforms would be wonderful. And... For the cast, the the first film, just like the second, you have a roster of influential who's who list of science fiction. Uh, how did everyone just come together and to be a, a part of this uh, grand project? Yeah, well, the uh, first film, it, you know, is a it was a it's a spoof on the superhero genre and kind of in that flavor of the um, old Batman TV show, you know, the Adam West show back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you recall, he had, you know, miscellaneous celebrities would pop in and out. And so we wanted to have some of that going on. Um, and and that's what, you know, got us going with, the, with, with that element in the film, in the first film. Um, and it kind of built on itself. Like after we shot like the first little batch of cameos, then it made it easier to go to other people and say, well, so-and-so and so-and-so is already in it. We've already shot, you know, their scenes. Um, and we had three featured celebrities. <clears throat> um, you know, Nichelle Nichols, who was the original Uhura from Star Trek, Lou Ferrigno, um, who was the Incredible Hulk, and Noel Neal, who was the original Lois Lane from The Adventures of Superman. The three of them play characters. Um, and then with the sequel, we wanted, the, we wanted to expand on this convention. And not just have 
celebrities show up as cameos, but to be more uh, deliberate, <clears throat> excuse me, and more uh, stitched into the fabric of the story. Um, and with the sequel, this was kind of our uh, uh, 10-year anniversary from the first film, and so we wanted to have more people in than before. And as I um, uh, mentioned, there's kind of like a gravity that kind of occurs with getting some of the celebrities in. They, um, the more people we shoot, then the more people we're able to approach and and get into the film. Um, and especially when they're kind of like uh, in related worlds. Like, for example, um, having Nichelle Nichols in there, some of the Star Trek actors like took notice, and that was how we were able to get a number of other Star Trek actors into the sequel. Um, having Lou Ferrigno come back for the uh, sequel allowed us to get some of the other actors from some of the Incredible Hulk you know, TV movies, you know, the Rex Smith and Eric Allen Kramer, who played uh, Daredevil and Thor. And then um, also on our, on our villain side, uh, Rebecca Staub, who played the Invisible Woman in the original Fantastic Four movie, she reached out to her you know, friends and colleagues, the other actors who played the heroes and, and the actor who played Dr. Doom. So it kind of like creates its own gravity. So she was able to help us get all the other heroes from the original Fantastic Four movie, plus the actor who played Dr. Doom. So there's this kind of gravity that happens and starts to draw other people in. So at the end of the day, we ended up with over 50 stars in the sequel. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, 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 <laughs> it was kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I was pleased to see Linda Blair um, which for me, uh, when in, in, in act one, she does have sympathy, uh, for her son, but her husband was kind of more the dominant side of the family and he didn't want nothing of his son coming back into their lives. Yeah. Well, I think we see that a lot in society. Um, you know, women tend to be uh, a little more gay friendly, um, you know, men tend to have a, a, a more discomfort, um, and as you could tell, the, the you know the re, the religious you know um, undertones definitely have an influence. Um, and so I think we were being honest to what a dynamic like that might look like. That you know the mother may have a hard time, but you know this is her son. This is you know um, you, mothers seem to have that sort of you know extra special bond with their children because they birthed them, right? Um, and you know the, the father, you know, is Gil Gerard is sort of portrayed as a sort of more you know crotchety, you know, uh, grumpy guy, you know, in a kind of Archie Bunker kind <laughs> yeah. of a way. Um, and I think that that is something that is probably not too far off of what a lot of uh, LGBT folk have experienced. Unfortunately, so how long was the process? Uh, so we have a, a large gap since the release of the first one and the sequel uh how long was the process uh from the script to screen in making the sequel wow okay so after the first film um i hadn't i, I was still kind of busy promoting the first film for the first few years so i hadn't really thought much about doing a sequel but some colleagues of mine who were helping me you know promote uh who were you know new friends and colleagues kept nudging me. They're like, you know, are you going to make a sequel? Are you going to make a sequel? You've got to make a sequel. Every superhero needs a sequel. And they're like, we're filmmakers too. We, we'll, we'll bring crews down and we can get all this stuff together. And, stuff. and so, um, so it's probably a few years before I even thought about um, 
a sequel. Um, and we did have uh, some interruptions in between. And we kind of got started and shot a chunk. And at the first it, uh, kind of you know, iteration of this, Ken, I was, I was really just trying to do kind of like a chapter one. I wasn't even planning on doing a whole feature film. So the first effort was kind of like this sort of chapter one, like, you know, a third of the film, um, you know, a half hour, you know, thing. And um, and then with sort of these, these breaks, you know, life things happen. And, um, and as I mentioned, even, you know, some homophobia uh, reared its ugly head and some folk tried to prevent the movie from being made. Um, uh-huh. During those breaks, it allowed us to kind of regroup and think about things and expand the story and improve and somehow ended up uh, with, you know, originally contemplating a 30-minute a, a um, short, ended up being a 90-minute you know, feature film, even longer than the first movie. Um, but uh, I'd say if you, if you kind of cut out those breaks, you know, we had a, a good you know, several-year chunk in the middle there. Um, it probably took... I'd say one, two, three. Um, probably took me three to four years to make the sequel. That that sounds that sounds reasonable. You're ironing everything <laughs> out, uh, you know, getting yeah. all the uh, riffraff out of the way, so that way the film could get done. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds reasonable. Yeah, the first movie was kind of done a bit more continuous from you know start to finish, with the sequel. Um, like I said, even if we delete the stops and starts, it, it did take a lot more to do because, um, you know, we're dealing with a lot more um, uh, people, uh, a bigger cast, a bigger crew. The, the first film was 125 cast and crew, including, you know, the 20 celebrities. But with the sequel, it's 271 cast and crew with over, you know, 50 celebrities. So there was a lot more of... Know casting and planning and recruiting and negotiating and um, you know it so just even just normal um, you know filmmaking process this this it, it took longer because you know we're still you know dealing with a, a few people making all of this happen and um, you know so it you know took longer than the first film to do right and f- as a filmmaker. Uh, what are what is your approaches when you encounter the negative influences, uh, either comments from critics and or uh, criticism towards the project? Uh, what is your opinion on that, and how do you evolve from those negative uh, influences, negative comments? Yeah. So um, some. Well, it, some negative negativity needs to be distanced, and um, certainly people that affect the uh, production uh, need to be, you know, removed, um, you know, as gracefully as possible, um, or you know, or or you know, get around them, you know, if there's something blocking your way. Um, you know, as far as like you know, critics go, um, I, I've watched and heard about interviews from um, George Lucas. You know, he's received lots and lots of criticism on his, you know, Star Wars films. Um, critics lambaste um, his movies. Um, and it almost seems like, uh, you know, the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back are the only two movies that the critics, like, really like, um, you know, generally speaking. And 
I found it interesting where he says, like, you know, someone may say, he gave this little anecdote, like, kind of little example. Someone might say to him, hey, you know, I noticed you painted your house green. You know, your house might look better if it looked white. I think it would look better if it was white. And George Lucas's response to that is, well, maybe it would look better white, but I like green, and I painted my house green, and it's going to stay green. And so um, uh, I, am, I am open to the you know, criticisms. As I mentioned, the sequel is really the answer to uh, what commentators and reviewers and uh, fans and audience members were asking for. So I do um, listen and I- incorporate you know, things that make sense to, but some criticism um criticism's going to happen automatically. I mean just being a superhero movie generally critics don't view superhero movies as genuine cinema. <laughs> they're not dramas, they're right? They're not like, you know, this is, you know, real life, you know, stories. So you're going to get criticism there. I'm uh, you know, in the independent world, so low budget films are going to be there's criticism, you know, because of the low budget aspects, but you know, I don't take that can as sincere criticism. Like when I see reviewers spend paragraphs complaining about, you know, the budget, the production value, it's like, uh, yeah, I did not spend $200 million on the movie. Uh, what's your point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't really feel that that's very, you know, sincere criticism. So there's only so much, you know, stock I can, you know, put in that. And, and then also, too, the same thing goes on with, um, you know, test screening audiences, as I see with critics, you know, some critics will praise the movie for some characteristic of it. And then other critics will complain about the same thing. And it's kind of interesting. I'm like, did you people watch the same movie? Mm -hmm. Um, And I go through this with test screening audiences as well, where some people say, oh, this was moving a little fast for me. Or other people say this was moving a little slow for me. I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? You know, you perceived it as fast. You perceived it as slow. Or some people say, oh, I want to see more of this. And some, and then other people say, well, I felt like I had enough of this. I didn't really need to see that. Like, then I'm struggling with, well, what do I do? Do I cut something out? But this part of the audience wants to see it. That part of the audience feels it's, you know, extraneous. So, you know, there's there's a balancing that I have to do with, with criticism, right? Um, something that is sincere and makes sense, I want to listen to. Um, and it's something that you know, there's nothing I can do about. Like, okay, the critics that want to complain about the low budget aspect, all right, well, I'll tell you what, you want to give me $200 million? I'll make you a $200 million movie. Right? Um, you know, the budget is what the budget is. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I handle uh, negativity. I, I recognize it's going to happen. Um, and if people like George Lucas can, you know, uh, kind of, uh, acknowledge negativity, but not let it bring them down, then I can't let it bring me down either. Yeah, that's, that's a great perspective. And also some $200 million movies are, are all not that bad because the CGI influences is like, oh, well, guys, what, what were you guys thinking? I much rather prefer a an indie film that attempts to create something with cgi or with practical effects i love practical effects and you see that more personal aspect of this technology and or special effects being used yeah well um i hear this criticism a lot with these big budget um special effects driven movies where 
I, I hear oftentimes, not just from other filmmakers, but just from like conventional, you know, audience members, you know, the average day person saying that, you know, storytelling has kind of gone to the wayside with all this flash with, you know, explosions and visual effects and fight scenes and stuff. It's like, where is the story? And um, I think that has happened a bit to cinema with um, all the, you know, glitz and glam of visual effects. Um, you know, some movies you know, maybe rely on that a bit too much or maybe get a little d distracted by that rather than uh, trying to tell a story. You know, when you, when you didn't have, like, kind of, I think what you're getting at is when you don't have a lot of visual effects, the story really needs to carry the movie. Exactly. And really needs to tell it. Yeah. Precisely. I hope we're striking a balance there. I hope we're giving a story that's interesting and fun. I know it's funny. I mean, everybody's, you know, I've been to all, all the audiences and, uh, you know, listen to people laugh and cheer. And certainly the reviewers and, you know, critics are, are definitely noticing the humor and picking up and appreciating it. Um, I hope people are finding it interesting. Uh, I hope they're taking away the message. And, um, I, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I hope that people are just, you know, downright entertained yeah well i definitely find there were some scenes that were ex very funny especially one comment i believe it was the father uh for the villain and he said that uh, they can reproduce but they multiply i found that that was cracking up that was a pretty funny line right there <laughs> that was <laughs> that was genius <laughs> uh, well thank you yeah there's lots of lots of um you know funny moments throughout the film uh, and down to the last two questions what the last question would be like an open platform but this is this question right here is uh, the most challenging for this conversation slash interview and this is where I asked you the interviewee to come up with a question for the audience to answer oh so if I were to ask your audience a question what would I ask them um um, I guess I would want to know if um, the, if your audience is interested in seeing more superheroes from other um, environments, not just uh, the DC and Marvel characters, um, or are they just drawn to the uh, you know uh, high-profile DC and Marvel characters? That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, me, I'm not even too keen on that. I think they're overdone, these Marvel and DC characters. I think we should have some in independent uh, filmmakers come with, with some different concepts. That's my opinion. So, um, well, I, I think I'm not sure. As far as uh, independent film goes, you know, the independent you know film market is uh, is is very difficult, you know, just, just kind of like the same thing going on with in comic books. You have, you know, DC and Marvel as the big players and a couple of, uh, uh, you know, decent independent, you know, you know, companies and then lots of, uh, you know, little artists. And the same thing happens in the film industry too, right? You have a handful of really big studios with big budget films, um, you know, a couple of uh, decent independent you know, players, but uh, generally, independent filmmakers they they don't have um, you know the the budget and support and recognition and such and so it's difficult 
for independent films, you know, in general. And then in the superhero environment, um, I mean, I don't really see, this is kind of interesting. I mean, it's just, as I've been, you know, doing the surge of power stuff, I really don't see a lot of independent superhero movies being made. And, and, and if I do see them, they're done on a very small, very localized scale. Um, you know, some folk aren't doing quite what I'm doing to try and, you know, get a movie out there and, you know, general release and across the country. Um, so I just think it's a, you know, it's a challenging environment for not just an independent film, but an independent superhero. True, true. And that that brings one question to mind. Would would you consider crowdfunding for any, like the, the third installment or uh, for the web series? Funny you mention that, Ken. Um, well, if you saw the movie, the sequel, um, at the end of the sequel, there is a, a brief moment where um, Nichelle Nichols' uh, version of Omen is in her cave lair, and she looks up some other superheroes. Um, so this is you know, part of the epilogue to you know, help set up a third movie. And uh, uh, she kind of looks up in her little magic portal, kind of mirror, mirror on the wall kind of thing. Um, a bunch of other superheroes, and they are all pre-existing superhero characters that are from other artists who are you now colleagues and some friends of mine. Um, one is from a, a line of caption novels. One is from another superhero movie. Um, one is from a comic book line. And so um, I actually have already kind of started that. They, these folk were kind enough to allow their characters to appear in my movie, and a couple of them are appearing for for the first time in live action. Um, and we're tying our universes together. So by them crossing over, we're making what I call uh, the indieverse. You know, you hear people talk about like you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the all these DC programs that have shown up on the CW thanks to the popularity of Arrow. So they call it shows the the Arrowverse. Um, I'm uh, I'm I am trying to link up with other uh, independent um, studios that have superhero characters and see what we can do to combine them and uh, and uh, you know build an indieverse um, kind of like our own you know independent uh, version of uh, the Avengers or the Justice League hmm. that's a clever form of marketing <laughs> <laughs> very clever uh, so so now this is an open platform in which you could just uh, promote and market a uh, surge of power where people can tune in, uh, website, Facebooks, the whole nine yards. Sure. Okay. Well, um, our, our website is surgeofpower.org, surgeofpower.org. Um, we definitely are on uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and um, uh, Instagram. And the uh, uh, Big City Chronicles web series uh, is on our own YouTube channel. So there's a Surge of Power YouTube channel um, or people can see the episodes on um, our website. Um, and I guess the most important thing, though, if I were to put a request out to your audience is um, when you see the movie, you know, do uh, you know, not just you know like or share, but um, reviews are important, too. 
so it's, it's really important. Like if someone sees the movie and thinks it's funny, uh, thinks it's fun, uh, was entertained, um, it's important to um, express those comments. So I asked people to, um, you know, take a minute and, you know, th those, those reviews are really helpful. So if you, you know, see it on Amazon um, or even IMDb or, you know, or Rotten Tomatoes, um, those 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 are those are important. It's important to get people to you know take a minute to really you know share their reactions. So, so the Twitter handle is surge of power one, all one word, the number one. Uh, Facebook is surge of power sequel, all one word. Uh, Instagram is surge of power movies, plural. Surge of power movies, all one word. And I'm not sure if there's like a specific, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a link to the YouTube channel, but I think if people just go to YouTube and, you know, look up Surge of Power and, you know, Surge of Power movies, they should get us to the, you get them to the YouTube channel. Right. And share, if it's, if it's good criticism, bad criticism, always share it in a creative way. That is the most important part because, of course, we always have the trolls on the internet. It's shame on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I mentioned, you know, um, you know, negative, uh, you know, you know, comments occur, and it, it's going to happen in the, you know, like I said, you know, superhero movies. Right off the bat, they're going to get that, um, uh, uh, and and um, you know, uh, independent films are going to get that. So we've got, you know, both of those things <laughs> inviting, you know, negative criticism. But you know. Um, the the uh, I think the overwhelming majority of the reviews that have come out so far have been very positive, and um, people are picking up on the charms of the film. So I'm really delighted to see that. So there's uh, thankfully the negativity has been um, you know limited. Right, and uh, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, one thing that really I find fascinating was the cinematography. That's one one aspect from indie film that does convey the message pretty well if you have the right camera angles and convey that level of tension just with the camera work alone then you you got something positive going well i'm glad you liked that yeah i i, I appreciate that um that, that you that you felt that way and that was your take that the cinematography was good is that yeah that that is important as you know as people are you know they want to watch they they want it to be good quality uh, so i appreciate that you uh, exactly. You know, thought that about the film. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, and uh, thank you so much for your time and for this interview. And I was delighted to have the pleasure to review uh, *Surge of Power: Revenge of the Sequel*. And uh, you guys are heading over to New York. Uh, will you be in costume uh, if you show up in New York? Is that that that's the plan? Um, I usually show I, I usually show up uh, more dressed as the filmmaker than as. <laughs> because of uh, the um, you know they're about to watch surge for you know 90 minutes on the screen right um, uh, but I will be I will be in New York um, uh, Friday Saturday and Sunday to introduce um, you know each of the shows and I'll even uh, stick around afterwards if uh, folk want to have some Q&A time uh, the, uh, fans would definitely appreciate that and I'll include that information on our podcast podcast notes once this podcast is published uh thank you so much <laughs> of course uh thank you so much and uh best of luck 
looking forward to Surge of Power, uh, the third installment. And uh, thank you so much once again for this interview. I appreciate it, Ken. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Have a good day.